We're in John chapter 4 today. I'd ask you to turn there in your Bibles, if you will. Go to your table of contents and find John chapter 4. And uh, <clears throat> we, we had this uh, topic we're working on called Conversations with Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> in the month of June, uh, we uh, talked about some of the conversations that Jesus had had with us about the Holy Spirit. Because that first Sunday in June was Pentecost, and uh, we uh, uh, celebrated that with a cake and had a good time. And then a few weeks of that. I want to kind of come back now more specifically uh, to this particular uh, uh, series that we're working in called These Conversations with Jesus. <clears throat> uh, conversations with Jesus. And today, <clears throat> I want to look at uh, this uh, topic called Priorities. Priorities. Uh, <clears throat> now, you know, uh, uh, all of us <clears throat> uh, live by a certain set of priorities. I, I have always been amused. A, a student or a person I talked to say, well, I didn't have time to do that. And I'd say, well, did you have time this week to eat? And they go, well, yeah. <clears throat> I say, well, did you have time to watch Gilligan's Island like I know you do every afternoon? Yeah, you know, you're, you're caught up with Gilligan. You're making sure that's going. And, you know, we go through this little process, and, and, I, and I, you know, they finally come to the realization that re, the reality is, is the reason they do it wasn't that important. And, and that's just life, isn't it? Uh, we do things that are important to us. We, we find time, or I don't know if we can make time. I'd love to, but we find time for those things that are important. As I was working through this passage some more at the end of this uh, particular passage with the woman at the well, uh, I began to see some things that I want to suggest you to think about with me today about priorities. And it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll just kind of tell you, don't, don't fill them out yet. We think we've got this thing fixed. We're, we're praying today <clears throat> that we're going to work. That that there are some priorities in this passage that I see that God the Father has, and we'll, we'll look at it, and I see there's some priorities that, that Jesus has, and I see there's some priorities that we have. Uh, it, it's fascinating because it kind of just works its way out. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to begin reading with me, and, and if you haven't uh, gotten the recordings, you can uh, uh, listen to them online. A friend of mine told me the other day he'd been listening to me online. I thought, oh, man, plausible deniability. You know, when you get recorded, you can't say, well, I didn't say that. Uh, generally. Uh, but uh, we'd, we'd worked through the, this uh, meeting with the woman at the well and actually stopped at about verse uh, uh, 18. And I want to pick that back up. And if you recall uh, the, the matter, it's a Samaritan woman who comes from a group of people that are considered to be mixed breed, partial Jew, partial Gentile. No Jew would ever speak to one or be in their home or eat with them. Uh, in addition to that, she's a woman. Uh, which according to the socioeconomic scale there, uh, was never to talk to a man in public uh, uh, unless it was her husband, uh, who had no rights. Uh, you may remember that uh, women in court uh, could never give testimony because they were never to be trusted. And so this is a fairly uh, 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 dramatic meeting of Jesus who's a man, who's a rabbi, and he's a Jew. <laughs> uh, he's got all the perks and advantages of this culture and she has none of them. And so this is a remarkable conversation. I just don't want to end without going through it all. It is remarkable that Jesus would even talk to her or any person. And so after he speaks to her and tells her about her life at verse 19, it says, The woman said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now remember, I don't have time to go back, but Jesus had told her what she'd done, and she tells the town, He's told me everything I've ever done. And she doesn't seem shamed or embarrassed at all. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? That he could tell her everything she's ever done. And she goes into town and says, you need to come hear a guy that told me everything I've ever done. You know, the 
townspeople could have said, well, he could have just talked to us. <laughs> you know, we, he, he, that didn't take a lot of revelation. <clears throat> Uh, it's amazing to me that Jesus can deal with people and deal with their issues and they not leave with a sense of shame or that I'm no good and that I've, I'm, uh, I'm to be just a kind of thrown in the trash heap. So it's amazing. So she says to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 19. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Again, you'll have to go back to that. It's Gerizim between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. The, the location is where the children of Israel came into the promised land the first time under the direction of Joshua. And on one side is Mount Ebal, where there was a set of curses that were called out by the, about the law. And on Mount Gerizim, where the blessings of the law and the Samaritans as a sort of a mixed breed kind of shoot-off group of the Jews had built their own temple on Gerizim. It's a rival temple to Jerusalem. It was, a, it was a place that they said, it's too far to go to Jerusalem. We'll just build one here. This is a pretty good location, right? This is where all the blessings of the covenant were declared and announced uh, as we entered into the promised land. So why not build a temple here? So she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. That's Gerizim. The other mountain is Mount Zion in Israel, or in Jerusalem rather, where the temple had been built. And you people say that it is Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, an hour is coming. Neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now I want to look at this uh, uh, section here about a priority, if you will, under this topic. What the Father seeks. In this passage, Jesus is clarifying, if you will, the priority, the value, the importance of what God the Father seeks. There's only two places in the New Testament. It's, it's sort of fascinating. In Luke, uh, Jesus says <clears throat> that uh, when he had gone to a party and the Pharisees who were a little uptight, you know, they didn't go to many parties. If they did, uh, there wasn't much of a party. You know? I, my friend used to say this is the kind of person that when they, these are the kind of people that when they leave the room, brightens up. Right? But Jesus said in Luke that he had come to seek and to save the lost. This is the only other passage where it refers to God or Jesus seeking. And it says here that God is seeking worshipers. Seeking, looking for them, desires. It's, it's just the only two places. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that was well as lost. And John tells us here that Jesus says, the Father is seeking worshipers. We'll look at that in a minute. But I want you to notice a couple of things here. Uh, what the Father seeks is relationship over ritual. Relationship or ritual. Uh, it's, it, now, you know, you look at me here. I, I ought to finish this sentence here in a minute. But uh, uh, look here just for a second, if you will. Uh, when this woman in verse 20 said, Our fathers worshipped, the, worshipped at this mountain. And in verse 21, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming, not in your where you'll worship the Father. That, to me, that's a fascinating contrast. Their worship is understood, at least from her standpoint, it's where our fathers worship. So that, that, that's where we worship. The contrast here seems to me to be between worshiping where our fathers worshiped 
And what Jesus says is there's going to be a day where you will worship the Father. You see that there? Does your translation use those uh, pronouns? Our Father? Or our fathers? And instead of the Father? It, it, it struck me, at least when I read this, that here might be an example, as God seeks worshipers, that He's got a person here who's basically understood worship as just a matter of tradition. This is where our fathers worshipped, and that's where we do. You know, it's like a, a, a people pick up habits and, and do things, and, and uh, uh, you know, would, uh, would do that. It's like a joke I heard. You know, a guy said, uh, my, uh, my father uh, was a Democrat, and so I vote Democrat. My grandfather's a Democrat, so I vote Democrat. And it uh, goes down the line, and, and the guy said, well, well what, if, what if the person that was running was an idiot? Who would you vote? He said, Republican. <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> Ouch. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. This is not, not a, a political statement. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but the idea of just doing something because someone else did it. Doing something because someone, I'm fascinated here about the idea of ritual instead of relationship. Uh, it's possible here that this woman has lived and experienced it to the point that really all she knows is we worship here because somebody else did. It's not because we worship the Father. It's not because we have connection with the Father or with God. It's because our fathers did it here. And I, I think we probably all at some level, maybe struggle with the ritualization of worship, don't we? I mean, we have rituals. I mean, we, in this class, we come in we come in and sit down and drink a little coffee and talk, and, and then uh, we pray a prayer or two, and then I come teach. That, that's pretty common, isn't it? I mean, hasn't changed very much in the last several years. There's nothing wrong with ritual as long as it has reality and relationship in it. You know, when you go to church later today, I hope when you're in the sanctuary, you'll sing a song or maybe you'll sing some songs. Is it, are you, are you singing as an expression of your relationship with God or is it just a ritual that we go through in order to get people ready maybe to hear a message? Ritual here in this woman's life, it seems to me, to be the idea of it's got to be a certain place at a certain time. Have you had the experience in your life where you know, you, you, you've gone to church, and I hope you do. But there have been other times whenever meeting God and experiencing His presence has been so real, and you've been in your car. Ever happen, ever happened to you? Some of the way you drive it should, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen you. Becky keeps getting after me on this 2,100-mile trip. She keeps saying to me, Cliff, they cannot hear you. <laughs> and I said... I'm a teacher, and I got to correct them here about their driving skills. She said, you better come over here, come over here, come over here. You know, uh, but, 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 you know, you're driving along the highway, and, and you experience the reality of the relationship with God. I, I'm, there's, listen, there's nothing wrong with ritual if it has reality and relationship in it. But there's lots wrong with ritual if it's an end in itself. If it's just an end in itself, our religion that gets ritualized or gets, gets to the point I'm just going through the motions. Generally, you can tell that because you're looking at your watch and thinking, okay, we, it's time to go. You know, it, it's 12. And I'm, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. We do like to beat the Baptist for lunch, but, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't ever have to worry about the charismatics. They, they don't get out till like 1245, you know. They're, they're having a great time. When I think about this, I think about ritual 
you know, she's saying, our fathers worshipped here. That's why we worship here. Okay. Jesus is correcting that to say, look, there's a day coming, an hour coming. When it's not going to be this mountain or even Jerusalem that's going to matter. It's going to matter that you worship the Father, not our fathers. Get it? It's going to be that we worship the Father, not our Father. Listen, I'm thankful for our tradition. I'm thankful for the people I know that have helped me learn to follow Jesus. But I'm telling you, it has to become reality in my life, in your life, that it's not just something we go through, but something that's reality. I, I had a professor. I spent a few days at Asbury Seminary this week, and uh, I, I'm reminded. I better not call his name. He's, I think he's still alive. Can't hurt me, but, you know, anyway. uh, <laughs> go back in my transcript, maybe. Uh, I had this professor who was a brilliant guy, so smart, uh, but didn't really like students that much. <laughs> I wonder if I got infected by that. <laughs> I remember going to his office when he's a tenured professor. His name was Joseph. Well, just that was his first name. But uh, Joseph was a tenured professor, and uh, when I got there, I needed to talk to him. I went to his office and looked, and his office, I'm not kidding you now, his office hours on Tuesday or Thursday were from 9 to 9.10. And on Wednesday, Friday, from 8.30 to 8.45. I walked in his office. There wasn't a book on the shelf. He's just sitting there. Counting it down, nine, eight. You know, uh, there was an old uh, a raincoat on a, some kind of a rack, and it was like a janitor's closet. And I said, uh, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. Joseph, I, I, I need to talk to you. Fine, sit down. He was from China and had a very pronounced accent and always spoke in the third person. Scared me to death. I didn't know who this guy was. He kept saying, talking about Dr. Wong. Oh, see, now I gave it. There we go. <laughs> I did it. Better check my transcript. Dr. Wong, I say, now Dr. Wong say, and I go, who is that guy? Anyway, all the years I was at Asbury Seminary, I went by to talk to him. I needed some counsel about what I was going to do with my future degree. I would walk by Wong every day, and he would say this, hi, how are you? And just keep moving. Just keep moving. Never stop. I mean, if I'd have said, well, I, you know, I'm not doing too... He's gone. (laughs) For two years that happened. Now it's on seminary for four years. For two years that went on. And finally, after a while, I never answered him. Because it was just a ritual. He said, hi, how are you? He didn't want to care. He didn't care what I was doing. Here's the fascinating thing. Eighteen years later, I take a group of students to the seminary for a trip. We check into the Beeson Center or the Asbury Inn. And Dr. Wong is there. And uh, he's helping some Chinese students check in or visit the seminary. And I, I walked up to him. I said, hi, Dr. Wong. Cliff Sanders, 1985 uh, New Testament theology with Paul. He goes, hi, how are you? And walked right past me. <laughs> he's like the Lord. He changes not. <laughs> See, I never had a relationship with him because it was all ritual. Every time he saw me, or anybody, hi, how are you? And just keep motoring. 
you know, with, in our relationship with God, is it, is it we're just worshiping because the fathers or people built the building or because somebody said this is where it should happen? Or, this, or is it that we are worshiping the Father? That our lives, and I want to I look at that here in just a moment. I think I've got that in my notes. Yeah, here we go. All right, does that make sense? Okay, two. What the Father seeks is a correct understanding. Notice what he says here. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. This is, a, this is a one of those uh, hard statements. I, I know, you know we talk sometimes about how much we love Jesus and how wonderful He is. But there are times when He gets a little edgy. There are times in some of these red letters where He gets a little difficult. He, he is saying, if you will, that there is no priority here on ignorance. You worship what you don't know. You know, I, I grew up in a tradition for whatever word, whatever it was, that put so much emphasis on emotion that it almost didn't matter what they said or what occurred if you felt something. Anybody like that? You ever you go that? And, and, and I remember as I began to grow up spiritually, as I began to mature, I began to ask questions, which... And some of those circles is not always that acceptable. <laughs> because I said, you know, look, uh, I need to know what I'm doing here. I said, I, you know, I've had some of those same feelings I had in church when I watched a really emotional movie. Is that God? Or is that the producers in Hollywood? You know, we're, we're emotional beings. There's no question about that. I love what we, William Wilberforce and John Wesley were somewhat contemporaries. And, and, and Wilberforce was trying to stop the slave trade in England. And Wesley and he were riding back and forth. And Wilberforce said, or, or Wesley said to him, that, that pure intellect and knowledge is not it. There has to be emotion. There has to be movement in our hearts. He said, there can be neither a cold heart or an empty head. Sometimes... We have to hear this. It says, look, you worship what you don't know. Is there any value in that? Is it, is it just, well, you know, I worshiped and it was great and I had a good time? Or is it important for us to have the correct understanding of who God is and what He said and what He's done? This statement here for salvation here, that's a pretty important matter. Salvation. Now, in our culture, I know there's a... I, 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 I know that we struggle sometimes with what we call the exclusivity of Jesus and Christianity, don't we? It's tough we, when we say Jesus is the way. Um, well, that, 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 in our culture today, that, that can get you in some hot water. And that can cause some tension. And I, I appreciate what Ann uh, Graham Lotz, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, said here at the convention, that, that we at some point have to say as Christians... This is our understanding of who God is and what real worship is. It's not, you know, some scholar, J.I. Packer, wrote a book called, called Hot Tub Religion. He <laughs> says everybody can get in and relax and enjoy themselves, and it's sort of the buffet religion style. I'm not, I'm not talking about being harsh and mean and restrictive. Uh, Tim Keller is a great pastor, Presbyterian in, in uh, New York, said this, Tolerance is not about not having a set of beliefs. But tolerance is about how those beliefs cause you to treat those who don't share your beliefs. 
See, see, tolerance is not about not having a set of beliefs. It doesn't mean we, don't, we can't have a set of beliefs. It's not about not having a set of beliefs. Tolerance is about those beliefs. It, it, tolerance is about how those beliefs cause you to treat those who don't share your beliefs. That's tolerance. It doesn't mean that I have to say, well, I don't know what I believe and, and I don't have any, uh, uh, I don't have any uh, uh, idea about what, what I believe about God. It's not just buffet religion. It's correct. So he says here, you, you worship what you don't know. I, I'm always amazed at the Scriptures how there is a priority, seems to me, in Scripture. Not about just what makes me feel good or what I like, but what's true. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and it will set you free. And so it seems to me that this priority is not only, if you will, of this first one, of a relationship, of a ritual, but it's also a correct understanding. Now, I think you know me. I, well, you know me some. That... That somebody said, glad I don't. Uh, I, I'm not talking about some rigidity that, that, that causes you to be mean and harsh with people. Jesus is simply saying here, I think, that this is a matter of understanding correctly the nature of salvation through Jesus Christ, that I've come to save the world. We're going to look at that some more in a moment. Uh, following Jesus is this matter of correct understanding. And let me say it this way. Correct understanding is always a matter of revelation. Write that down now. Correct understanding is always a matter of revelation. See, Jesus said this. You, you, don't worship, you worship what you don't know, but we worship what is... Or, or we, we are the Jews. That's where salvation comes from. I wonder sometimes, how many of my thoughts and ideas about the Christian life are not the result of revelation, but are just my feelings and my experience. One of the things I tell students at Mid-America is that one of the most difficult things for many of us is to get our understanding of salvation of what it means lined up with what is revealed and the Word of God. Students come to me all the time and tell me they've heard things, and, and you probably we call it pop theology. You know, they, they, they tell me that, you know, all, uh, all these kind of ideas, and I say, that's not true. They say, it isn't? No, the Scriptures don't teach that. I've been wrestling with an idea, I'll tell you. The revelation. I, I've been wrestling with how little importance in the epistles and even in the Gospels well, I, I'm, I'm almost afraid to say this because I'm, I'm, st- I'm not there. I'm not, I haven't got it figured out yet. But how much or how little emphasis there is on praying for healing and the prayers that are prayed are that the gospel might be made known clear. You go look at Paul. Go read him. He, he did pray for the thorn to be removed. He, he did pray that God would release him. I understand all that. And, and Jesus healed people. And yet there were times when, when he wanted to stop and preach the gospel. I, I wonder sometimes if my prayer life, I, I am concerned about people need healing. And when I'm sick, I want to be healed. But I wonder, do we share the same concern in our prayer life for our spiritual growth? Is that what we pray about? Is that what we, that's what I think is revealed in Scripture. That we should be praying about our own spiritual growth and about the gospel and about participating in that as it goes to all the ends of the earth. 
See, it, it, it's correct understanding. I'm not saying don't pray for people. I'm not saying the scripture doesn't say. I'm just saying there, there seems to be less emphasis on, than maybe I've put on it. Are you okay with that? that? That's my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. Thoughts and opinions as teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church. It's elders or leadership. Okay, you know that. Right? I heard all my life as a kid that if you were really a Christian living in love and joy and peace and patience and kind and all that, that you would never be depressed. Hello? <laughs> Go, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul said, when we went to Asia, we don't want you to be unaware that we were pressed out of ourselves, that we despaired of life. That's Paul. What? Despairing of life. Now, I say all that to say this. Jesus is saying here to this woman, it's not enough just to go through the motions. You have to have the correct understanding here. And it's on the basis of revelation. Here's something you might do this week. Just think about it. As you go through your week and as you make decisions, you plan, ask yourself this question. Where did I get the idea about making this decision? Did it come from my church? Did it come from my family? Did it come from my own? And, and, and that's okay to think. Or does it come from direct revelation of what the Scriptures talk about? Now, I, I don't, you know, a lot of things in the Scriptures are not about our everyday life. Some are very general. But I wonder how many of us live our lives based on revelation. What Jesus said here that you, 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 you worship what you don't know. But worship comes from the Jews. I, I just I want to ask you, to think, when we make our decisions, are they decisions based on revelation or just our own history? I'm going to move on. Third, reality. What, is, what does God seek? This is in 23 and 24. It said, But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such is the people the Father seeks to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Let me unpack this just a little bit here. The reality. I think spirit and truth, I think spirit and truth here are contrasted. You've got to remember the conversation here. Now, he's having with this woman. Spirit, non-physical, and truth. Spiritual is that it's not a single location. He already said it's it's not going to be it's not going to be Gerizim or it's not going to be Jerusalem. It's not a particular place. That's spirit. And in truth, is what he just referred to is worshiping God and understanding Him from a revelation standpoint. You get that? They're hung up on where. Where do we worship? Do we worship here? Do we worship there? Jesus said it's in spirit. It's, it's wherever you are. It, it's not a location. You know, I, I'm thankful for wonderful places of location and, and, and wonderful places where we can go. But its matter is it's inward, not just outward. This word here, it's in, the Father seeks worshipers. The Greek word for worship here is the Greek word proskuneo, which means this, to kiss toward. To kiss toward. It literally comes out of the ancient world of uh, the society of Jesus' life. And the word picture, um, you know, you may not like this that much, but the word picture that comes from it is a dog that licks its master's hand. You know, I've had dogs over my life, and and I've had a couple of really sweet ones. Uh, Just about a week ago, little Gracie died and just killed us. You know, just, oh, I, you know, I just said, I, I, 
it's a good, I will, I gotta shut up. <laughs> but, but Gracie or Buddy, uh, because again, they do not know their dogs. <laughs> we never had children, so we're spoiling something. Whenever Gracie or Buddy would get up in my lap a lot of times, because Becky kept saying to me, Cliff, you're the alpha dog, and I, I didn't know if that was a compliment or... <laughs> I don't know. What was amazing to me is that Gracie or Buddy would get so kind and sweet that they would lick my hand. And of course, Becky understands animals better than I do. She's been around a lot more. And she said, Cliff, that, that's, that they're showing they love you. They... They're, they're, they're appreciative. I mean, it's just, it's just so sweet to, to do that. It, it's the idea of I recognize that you're my master. I, I recognize that, that you are the one over me. And that little dog will just put her head down and lick my hand. That's what worship means. It's very personal. It's very intimate. It's to kiss toward. You can do it with raised hands or without them. I just want to help you some of you relax. Okay? Some of you can raise your... It's fine. It it doesn't have anything to do with that. Some of you can do it with singing and without singing. And for a couple of you, I want to ask you not to sing. (laughs) I've heard you. It's hard. (laughs) You ever see me doing this? That's why. (laughs) You can do it with singing or without singing. You can do it with your eyes closed. It it has nothing to do. Jesus said, the Father, He is seeking people who have that kind of affection and desire for God. I've wondered about my own life. Jesus reveals the reality here. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. Are you a Jew or are you a Samaritan? It has nothing to do with religion. Boy, boy, this, this can get crazy, you know. I remember Dallas Willard one time at John Ortberg's church. They were asking questions about would Muslims and other people, you know, go to heaven. And Willard said, I'm not sure all Christians will. He about tore that room up. Right? This is not, this is not playing some game or running through some routine here. I've met people. I'll just be honest with you. I, I've met people from other parts of the world that their reverence and love for God shamed me. Love for God. I'm not, shamed me. Their, their affection for Him, their desire. And so what, what, what is here is it's not social status. That was huge in Jesus' day. It wasn't knowledge. That was huge in Jesus' day. It was the matter of worship that God seeks, which is spirit. It's not a location. It's not a place. It's intruders, but it's to kiss toward God. Is that what you're going to do today when you go to the service? or Is that what you're going to do today as you go through your life today? Are you going to be kissing toward Him? I just, I think I put this on here. Make sure. Be what Jesus seeks. Let's move on. i got to hurry. I, I, here, here's what I've wondered. I didn't put this on your outline. What if this week you read the Gospels, or read a part of a Gospel, and allowed the Father to open your heart to Him? What if you read the Gospel and you said, God, open my heart to you. So that when I'm reading and I'm worshiping, I am kissing toward you. I am kissing toward you. That's the reality of the who the Father is seeking. People of intimate love and desire. Now Jesus here, look at this uh, at verse 27. 
At this point, Jesus' disciples came and they were amazed that He'd been speaking to the woman. I told you, you can go listen to that because that's so important. What do you seek and why do you speak with her? So the woman left. Wonderful disciples run her off here. Come see a man. So down at verse 3. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What, 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 is, what is Jesus seeking here? He, Jesus is seeking to do his Father's will. Notice what he said. He, he, the disciples think somebody's brought food to him. And, and, and they think, well, did somebody... He said, look, I've got food to eat you don't know anything about. And, and, and I'm looking at this and thinking, this is what Jesus... And I'm at Cliff, is this what you seek? To do the will of God? Is it, is it your desire? Is it, is it what is important to you, Cliff? Is that doing the will of God? Is that really what gives you energy and life and food and vitality? I sometimes wonder. You know, we're on this vacation and, and uh, we were eating at a lot of different places. You ever, you ever get to the point sometimes when you eat such rich food, you just throw on like a bowl of beans and cornbread? You know? You just think, man, I, that sounds good. You know, or just a turkey sandwich. I think sometimes we are so satiated in our culture with things and activities and duties and matters that, that doing the will of God, we don't have any appetite for it anymore. We've been satiated by everything else instead of waking up each morning. I, I'm trying to do this every morning out of Philippians 2.13 where it says that I would live for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 says that we would live for His Good pleasure. You know, do I wake up thinking, okay, now I, I got to make more money today and I need to, to get more influence and, and my life needs to get easier and I, you know, or, or is it to do the will of God? Man, at this age, I'm going to tell you something, that is looking more important than ever. That I would live my life so that I would know that my food, my life is about completing and accomplishing the will of God in my life, in your life. I've come, he says, to do this. I, I have food that you don't know of. And I, and I will tell you, I, I, you know this, but let me just remind you. There is a fulfillment and a satiation that occurs when you know you've done the will of God that nothing in this world can touch. Can I get amen on that? Nothing can touch it. Money can't. Influence can't. But I know I've done the will of God and I've pleased Him. And I love what Green, Dick Greenlee says. I have this in my prayer thing every day. That I'm going to live my life every day so I can put a smile on God's face. Isn't that a good way to think of that? That I'm going to live today. Whatever it is. Illness, goodness, happiness, whatever. I'm going to live today to put a smile on God's face. Because my food is to do the will of God. Nothing else is big enough for us, guys. Nothing else is... There aren't enough vacations. There are not enough cars. There are not enough houses. There are not enough things. Nothing can fill that up but to say, I am doing the will of God. That's my food. Man, that's what I want. Okay, verse or last one. What we can seek. Look here in verses 35. Uh, Jesus uh, 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 says of these guys, my food is the will of God. Verse 5, do not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Underline that. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white for harvest. Becky's dad was a wheat farmer, and I'm telling you, I can, I've seen this, that when the wheat fields get so ripe, they basically turn white. 
And with that, man, it's ready to go. They jump in that field. I've seen them cutting wheat at 2 o'clock in the morning, checking the moisture, checking the humidity. It's time to work. Jesus don't wait. He said, lift up your eyes. And he says this, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and one reaps. Jesus is saying, look, get your eyes up. I, I want to I tell you a real quick story and I'm going to be done here. You know, my eyes often are down. We've got to fix the water heater. My eyes are down. I, I've got to make some more contributions. I'm not saying anything that stuff is wrong. That, that I've got to make some more contributions to the 401k. You know, I've just got to get the oil change in the car today. My eyes are often down. And Jesus said, lift them up. And look, David Nasser is a former guy who lived in Iran during the time the Shah was uh, taken over by the Islamic uh, Revolution. His family was associated with the former regime to the extent that they knew they were on the hit list to be killed. David tells the story that growing up as a kid, he saw people dismembered in the town square with pliers. And they were coming after his family. They came after him at school, and the principal got in the middle of it and somehow stopped it and said, come back. His dad decided they're going to have to escape. And so they escape. And David says, as a nine-year-old little boy, the one thing I knew about religion and God was it was no good. They escaped to Switzerland. Long story short... They escaped to Switzerland, get there, and here's what's so fascinating. His mother and father were devout Muslims. And she said this. I'm going to read this to you. She said this. Why don't we pray to the American God and ask Jesus to allow us to come to his country? Think about that. That's how people see the world. That this is his country. Miraculously they get out of Switzerland and get to America. His father was highly educated and was working in an area in central Texas. And here's this Iranian young boy who's out of sorts and and doesn't understand the culture and doesn't know how to dress and his life is a mess. He said finally somebody got to him and told him how to dress like that and then everybody thought he was Hispanic and then he became cool. (laughs) So he said... Yeah, when they, when they thought I was Hispanic, they thought I was cool, you know. He, he tells the story about how smoking dope and became very famous in high school. And one night, uh, a friend of his who'd been running with, and they weren't li- he wasn't living the life, he, he just kind of going around. David was so depressed, he was going to end his life. And his friend said, why don't, you, why don't you come to church with me tomorrow? And he said, I don't want to go to church. He said, come on, if you don't go to church, I'm going to tell your dad all you've been doing. So they went in. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to go to my dad's bedroom and mom. And he said, I'm going to ask him, can I go to church? And, and I know he's going to say no, and this will be the end of that. And we'll be done. And so he says, he, he walks into his father's bedroom. They're asleep. And he says, mom and dad, don't get up. There's no, no, no problem here. But I, I'd like to know if I can go to church with my friend. And David makes it up. He goes, what church is that? <laughs> And David goes to his buddy. His buddy said, Shades Mountain Baptist Church. His father paused for me and said, You can go to that church, but no other church. And David goes, What? 
Unbeknownst to David, his dad, he, he knew his dad had a French restaurant. Excuse me. His dad had a French restaurant. But unbeknownst to him, one day at the restaurant, while he was working, it was obvious to Aubrey Edwards, who was the worship leader and choir director at Shades Mountain Baptist Church, that Mr. Nasser did not have enough wait staff and was getting behind. Aubrey noticed that they needed help. He gets up with his friends and says, we're going to start waiting tables and cleaning tables. So they start cleaning tables, waiting tables, taking orders, going back to the restaurant place and say, here's the order, we'll take it in. When that is all over, David's dad was so amazed at what they had done. Uh, Aubrey got him and brought him to the church on Wednesday night. <clears throat> I want to, listen, what I'm talking about is lifting your eyes up. Lifting your eyes up. He takes him to, now you know, you think, oh, take him to Wednesday night church, Bible said. No, he took him to the choir that he directed. He said, this is my friend David Nasser. He owns a restaurant here in town. He needs help. If you're going to be in this choir, you have to volunteer to do wait staff at his restaurant or you're out of the choir. <laughs> Signed them all up. Now these people are going to the restaurant free of charge, volunteers, waiting tables, bussing tables, cleaning them off, taking orders. Long story short, after a long period of time, David becomes a Christian, a follower of Jesus. His dad is still not too crazy about it and kicks him out of the house. He goes and lives with his friend. His mother, after a while, calls David up and says, David, I am a Christian now. And he said, why are you talking so loud, Mom? Because your dad's not kicking me out of the house. <laughs> she came to be a follower of Jesus. His sister became a follower of Jesus. He's a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, and speaks to 700,000 young people a year. Why? Somebody lifted up their eyes. And they saw something they could do. Listen, I wrote in this here, I, I don't embarrass people, but Bill Bright one day lifted up his eyes and he saw thousands of college students who need to hear about Jesus. Stan Mooneyhan went to other parts of the world and lifted up his eyes and saw children in crippling poverty and started World Vision. And millions of people are alive today. Matt Flannery and Jessica Jackley, you probably never heard of them, started Kiva. It's a micro-loaning thing that they, send, they give loans to people in other parts of the world, 25 bucks or so. Sometimes people to start a business, you know, they've, they've loaned at $25 a pop. So $586 million to people to start businesses and for moms to have a job in Africa, in the Sudan, all around the world. And their return rate on repayment, they have no way to get a loan at a bank. They have no way of securing a loan. They get it through people that are willing to do that. 98.8% is the repayment rate. Most banks would go for that, wouldn't they? Charlotte and Gary Shaw lifted up their eyes one day in Roatan behind the cruise ship dock. And they saw where kids were being trafficked. And there's a school now. Dick Greenley and Terry lifted up their eyes one day and they saw people that didn't have water. You know, uh, 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 Sharon uh, Allen lifted up her eyes one day and saw, you know, I can take some apple trees to Africa and give people a job. There are people in this room all around this world. All they did was just lift up their eyes. And they saw the harvest. It, 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 Aubrey didn't preach the gospel to him. Aubrey didn't take him through the four spiritual laws and a track. Aubrey just saw a guy that needed wait staff at a restaurant and said, we can do that. 
We can help. We can do Jesus said, would you lift up your eyes? See, mine are down here on me. I bet your eyes are down there too half the time. I'm thinking whenever Aubrey's at that day, I'm thinking, you know, i got to eat lunch. i got another appointment. i got all this other stuff to do. I understand that. But when this guy lifted up his eyes, he saw the heart. What is it you and I would see? It's what we can see. We don't have to, but we can. What is it you and I would see that's ready to harvest? Now, some of you get this Christianity religion idea out of your head. I'm not talking about you have to share the gospel with everybody. If that happens, that's great. I'm saying lift up your eyes in a way to be of service. One guy said this, quit quoting the Bible and just be nice. Right? Sometimes we're not nice. We quote the Bible a lot, but we're not very nice. Can you lift up your eyes? This week, I, I don't know what it's going to be for I, you. Know, I, I, I'm getting this all together. I'm thinking, okay, Cliff, what's it going to be for you? I can't just talk about this stuff. This is fascinating. The priorities of the priority of the Father, the priority of the Son, and the priority for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a fascinating conversation you had with this woman. That we're talking about it today. It changed her life, the life of that village. And we're asking you that the truths from this passage would change our lives. And you would help us to know what the Father is seeking, what the Son is seeking, and what we can seek. We ask you to do this for us and for the good of the world and for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.